0: Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to com. That's com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 167. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, all the usual things, you can follow me on Twitter At Brian McClanahan, you can like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, you can subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to go out and find all those things, just go to my webpage, BrianMcClanahan.com. That's Brian with an O. At the top of the page, you'll find all my social media buttons. And while you're there... You can help support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. Throw a few pennies my way. Help keep the lights on. Help keep the podcast going. Also, while you're there at the page, give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audio book of the same title read by yours truly. Also, you can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to com. You've got all of my courses there. Now, there's four. You've got a course on Alexander Hamilton, one on Secession, One on the Declaration of Independence, which is my newest offering. And, of course, the granddaddy of all the courses, the War for Southern Independence. It is the most non-PC course you will find on the war today. And it can be yours through McClanahan Academy and only through McClanahan Academy. So going out to McClanahanAcademy.com is always free to enroll. And those who do enroll in McClanahan Academy get all the deals when the courses come out. In fact, I will be having another course come out in September... Uh, Maybe at October at the latest, but I'm angling for September. So you're going to want to enroll. Even if you don't buy a class, you're going to want to become a member of McClanahan Academy so you can get the deal when it comes out and you're going to want this course. In fact, the topic of the podcast today is something I'll be covering in my next course. Also, you can support the Brian McClanahan Show show by going to redbubble.com. You can purchase all your Brian McClanahan Show gear there. Just put my name in, Brian McClanahan. It'll come up with all the stuff. You can get t-shirts, cups, wall clocks, stationery, all kinds of cool things. Skins for your phones and iPad. So lots of cool stuff uh, on Redbubble. Okay, all of that said, let's talk about the topic for the week, which is think small. And this is actually a piece I was surprised. It was published in uh, the American Spectator, which isn't, I mean, the American Spectator is not necessarily a staunch neoconservative website, but um, they do run a lot of neoconservative material. However, this particular piece is written by Ralph Benko, and um, the title is, A Modest Proposal for Making America and the World Great Again. And it's think small. Th- time to think big by thinking small. Now, I, I actually tweeted at uh, Mr. Baco and said, you must have been listening to my podcast, or maybe you've been reading the Abbeyville Institute or something like that. But this is th- these are things we've been talking about now for well over 100 episodes on The Brian McClanahan Show. But I love it that American Spectator, a major mainstream conservative publication, has now offered a piece on something different something different. Now, this is, I mean, you. I say it's different. It's not really that different. I mean, you're talking about uh, a principle that's as old as America itself, and that is limited central authority, local government. I mean, it goes back to, to uh, the rights of Englishmen. You go back to the Magna Charta when you look at this kind of stuff. But local self-government is the heart of America. And so what uh, Mr. Benko is saying here is that maybe it's time to apply this principle across the world. Now, I, I could um, quibble with that. I mean, I think that America is uniquely situated in that it is part of the Anglo-American inheritance, which is limited local self-government. Uh, not every people across the world uh, and not every political culture across the world is suitable for this. Um you know, When you look at political cultures, there is something to that. There is something to a people and as they develop things over time and how that political culture reacts to certain situations. I would say, for example, that in China, the Chinese have a, have a fairly authoritarian political culture. No matter what you do with China, China will always have that as part of their political culture. I think you could say the same thing about many of your Middle Eastern states. The Anglo-American model only works for Anglo-American areas. Now, you could say that this also works in European countries as well, and he brings up Switzerland, which is much more decentralized than anywhere else in the world, and it works great. But that is the Swiss political culture. Perhaps uh, there's something, you know, a little adaptation here in America. This this piece was published on June 20th, so it's a couple of weeks old now, and I've been meaning to get to it, I just haven't had the time, but... One thing that uh, Mr. Benko suggests we do is return to the Articles of Confederation. A very interesting idea. And I remember when I was an undergraduate in college, I was sitting around a table. I was working, and there were some students there. And you know how smart undergraduates are. We know everything. And this student that I was talking to knew everything. She was a know-it-all. And uh, I I made a statement, we know the the articles were, were pretty good. Oh, my gosh. How dare you say the Articles were any good, didn't you know? We had the Constitution to get rid of the Articles because the Articles stunk. Well, of course, this is a byproduct of years of indoctrination, that the Articles of Confederation were the worst government ever created. Now, of course, there are members of the founding generation who thought that was the case. I mean, gosh, we had the Philadelphia Convention so we could amend the Articles. But keep that in mind. We had the Philadelphia Convention so we could amend the Articles not scrap the Articles, but amend the Articles. And when you look at what the Articles of Confederation did, it it crafted a federal republic. It worked for American circumstances. It fit the model that Americans wanted based on their understanding of British constitutionalism. And when you look at that particular model, uh, the central authority, in their mind, could defend the colonies... And it could tax or regulate trade. Not necessarily internal taxes, but it could regulate trade. And so when you think about the Articles, that's exactly what the Articles could do. Now, so when you get to the Constitution, the power to tax is given to the central authority. Okay, but before that, it didn't have it. Now, it could ask for money from the states. But you have to understand, this is the British imperial model, essentially given to a new central authority, the federal government or the confederal government for the United States of America. And so, what Benko, Mr. Benko, says we should do is just well, let's take the articles and let's let's create that again and let's throw the Bill of Rights in there because you know the the problem is well, if you if you say you can't do something, then uh, then you really can't do it. If you don't say you can't do it, then the government's going to come up with all all kinds of ways to do it. Even under the Articles, and I've gone through this in my Hamilton book, how James Wilson. Uh, essentially duped the the Confederate Congress into chartering a bank, the Bank of North America, even though it had no power to do so. But he duped them into doing it. And so you have to have some type of prohibitions on central authority, or they are going to assume, and this is a bad assumption, that they can do anything you tell them they can't do. That's the, actually the, the the state model, not the general model. In fact, it was argued in the Constitution that if it didn't say you can do it, you can't do it. But the states can do everything else. This is how James Wilson actually sold the Constitution to the state of Pennsylvania in his very famous State House Yard speech, and also in his speeches during the Pennsylvania ratification debates. So, or on the ratifying convention of Pennsylvania, for that matter. So he says, look, let's let's reinvent these articles. Now he goes through it, and an interesting part of... uh, American history, and that's modern American history, when people say, you know, we can't have the articles, we can't do it because the United States would be far too weak, would be far too weak, because you know what, we're vulnerable. The articles would leave America vulnerable. So he says, wait a second here. He says, but wait a minute, quote, is it true that America is the world's only hyperpower? Well, yes, in point of fact, it is true, both economically and militarily. So then he goes through these two things. He says, quote, The economy of our current, currently greatest imaginary hobgobble in the Russian Federation is less than one-tenth the size of the United States. Russia's economy is only a little more than half the size of California's. Russia's economy is smaller than that of Canada or South Korea, neither which are perceived as existential threats. America has 14,612 military aircraft to the Russian Federation's 4,827. America has 10 aircraft supercarriers, and two on order. Russia has one bulky aircraft antique carrier, accompanied by an ocean-going tugboat to tow it back to port when it breaks down. Russia has nine rather small foreign military bases, ten if one disputes Crimea as under Russian sovereignty. Most of these are in former constituent republics. Notwithstanding nostalgia for the USSR, Russia is no hyperpower. Nuclear, yes, hyper, no, nor can it afford to become one. Meanwhile, the United States has 800 foreign bases, and he doesn't say how many countries we have those in, well over 100 countries around the world. Uh, Still, uh, he asks, do we really need to keep 34,805 troops stationed in Germany? Germany, while formidable, is no longer a frightening nihilistic state. Annoyingly officious, yes, scary, no. One could go on. The United States military budget dwarfs that of any other nation. Ours is, by some accounts, as big as that of the next 14 countries. Twelve of whom are allies combined. Our two put- uh, putative rivals among those four teams, Russia and China, have ethnically complicated continental-sized territories of their own to defend. Their militaries are stretched perilously thin. China's economy, while nationally approaching that of the United States, is something of a fato morgana when looked at on a uh, per capita basis. And so he goes through how the the average Chinese worker makes $8,000 compared to that of $57,000 in the United States. So he goes through all of this stuff. And he says, look, the United States is the only hyperpower. We have no real threats in America. We have no real threats outside of America except ourselves. Our, Our military is so large. Our presence around the world is so big that there's no threat to the United States. And then you look at... The problem with all this, this strong central uh, central government he says, "You know what my friends at Cato now i normally i don't I don't promote Cato here, but he says, "Look, they've worked so hard to get the United States budget from four hundred billion to four trillion. They've worked so hard to downsize very funny line. The problem is that we have a government that is way out of control because of centralization, and both parties, unfortunately, as I've mentioned on this podcast several times." Believe in centralization. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. You want to centralize. You need to centralize. Why? Because it suits the nationalist agenda. Nationalism is the real problem in America. It doesn't matter if you are uh, someone who is uh, interested in, say, a religious issue. I mean, for example, why is it? A lot of these issues that we talk about, so contentious, are national issues. They shouldn't be. When I mean, we just had the Supreme Court fight, we get to issues like abortion, which really is a state issue. There's no, there's no federal uh, control over that issue. If the states want to regulate it, they can. And it should be that way. That's federalism. That's how it works. So the Supreme Court has overstepped its bounds in the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973. It's very It was, it was a, a problematic decision then because it was not following the Constitution. this is the problem. And so now he's saying, look, I support Catalonia independence. I support California independence. I support uh, any type of independence movement you can get to. Why? Because I'm looking for the European Union to dissolve itself. Why? Because this is the right thing to do. It is the human thing. This is what Kirkpatrick Sale talks about in his very famous book, The Human Scale. A wonderful book, if you haven't read that one. A wonderful book. The size of a government matters when it comes to a relationship between people. This is the Aristotelian way to look at government. It's also the English way to look at government. There's a reason why the English developed local self-government, because it worked best and it was most functional. Now, of course, there can always be petty tyrants in any type of local government. There's you know, No government is perfect. You can have any, I mean, any situation can produce a tyrant. Any situation can produce someone who is going to abuse power. But as you centralize more and more power in one area and then you make it the seat of something, it invites corruption. This is what Hamilton loved about the British Constitution, it invited corruption. This is why Hume talked about his uh, ideal republic, which decentralized everything. So there was no seat of government that would allow for corruption. You couldn't go in and spend lots of money in one area because you would have had to influence thousands of areas. Well, that's why federalism... Is so beautiful. It also is the best when it comes to representative government. And I've talked about this on this podcast before, but think about the representative ratio in the Constitution, 30,000 to 1. We're way beyond that now, 750,000 to 1 for the House of Representatives. We have no real representative government there. We have special interest government. We have government that's influenced by all kinds of uh, special interest groups, left and right. And then you have people talking about top-down solutions. This is the problem with the socialists. They don't know what they're talking about. You can't have, first of all, these things are unconstitutional that they preach anyways, but you can't have top-down government. You're going to have extreme political unrest, and, of course, that's going to create violence. We're seeing it all the time. This is why the left is going bonkers over a Supreme Court nominee, which really shouldn't matter at all. It shouldn't matter at all. But, of course, we have Hamilton and Marshall and Black and Story to thank for all of that which is why I wrote a whole book on that. So this is the issue the, the issue of the future. This is the issue of the 21st century. I mean, if California breaks up into three states, it can cause some problems. And, of course, you have more senators. I think California should just secede. I mean, that really should be the case. California should just go its own way, and while you're at it, bring Washington and Oregon with you. And if you don't want to live in the People's Republic of California, uh, the good people of the United States may be willing to help you relocate to real America. Think about how that would change America, but it would also change California. The people of California would no longer be uh, subjected to those terrible flyover people in the Midwest, in the South, uh, in the West who are always trying to thwart their socialistic uh, dreams. That that wouldn't happen anymore. They could have whatever they want. And then you could get the deep north out of the Union. They could do the same thing. So all of us people in flyover country would be more than happy to have our own government uh, free from your abuse in the deep north and the far west. Get rid of that, and we would have some type of uniformity when it comes to a central government. But not only that, we should be looking to decentralize even further. We should go back. I mean, I kind of like this idea for the Articles of Confederation. Now, the other thing he doesn't bring up is the Confederate Constitution, which actually improved on the Articles and the U.S. Constitution substantially. And, of course, I talk about the Confederate Constitution in my class on the war. It's also going to be a subject of my next course, which is coming up in, again, September. You want to get this because it's, it's a course on American constitutionalism. And I'm going to cover all of this stuff, the Articles of Confederation, state constitutions, the U.S. Constitution, the Confederate Constitution. All of that stuff is going to get discussed because I think it's important to understand the American constitutional tradition. Even I'm going to discuss a little bit of the British model leading into the American War for Independence because you have to understand that to understand American constitutionalism. So we have all these wonderful things going on. And, of course, Mr. Benko is saying, hey, look, and then look at Switzerland. He brings up Switzerland. How many times? You, uh, this is amazing to me that someone, this was published in a major mainstream neoconservative publication like Spectator because nobody's talking about Switzerland outside of it. I mean, this is, in some ways, I look back at this, and I look back, you know, the Tenth Amendment Center, which is about uh, 10, maybe 10 years old now, something like that. Uh, The Abbeville Institute, which is 15 years old, 16 years old, uh, 20 years ago, nobody was talking about this stuff. Nobody was talking about state nullification. Nobody was talking about this type of decentralization. In America, nobody was talking about it. And if you did talk about it in the 80s, you were called a pinko because all you wanted to do is destabilize America. And some of that language is coming back, unfortunately, but... This is the real issue of the 21st century. How can people better govern themselves? Uh, Miss Ocasio-Cortez in New York should be able to have whatever socialist dream she wants in the Bronx, but don't apply that to the rest of America. I mean, this is something that should be fundamental to our understanding, our wiring as a people. In America, from the Anglo-American tradition. Of course, you can't say that now because that's, uh, that's uh, culturally superior. But that's where our political tradition and our legal tradition comes from. And thank goodness it does. Because we could have something else that would be far worse. But the Anglo-American tradition is one of decentralization and local self-government. And so he brings up these questions. Why is it that we're always looking for more and more centralization? Why are all these issues... National issues, quote unquote, national issues, should they be? Should we have national issues for everything under the sun? Should we be thinking small? if we if everyone in the world thought small? so this is this is the one problem I have with the article. Let's just think about here in America and how much better it would be if we all thought locally and acted locally? That's been my motto of this podcast, really since the beginning. What is it? What would happen if we all thought locally and acted locally? If we all swept around our own doorstep, and didn't pay attention to what was happening everywhere else. If a Supreme Court nomination didn't cause riots in the street, if somebody winning a primary in the Bronx didn't cause people to start wringing hands or cheering for the coming of the pinko wave in America, wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't it be better if we knew who our school board was? Wouldn't it be better if we knew who our local politicians were? Because that's really where the rubber meets the road when it comes to to, to politics. You know, the the street sweeper that comes in front of my house, uh, I pay for that in my local taxes. Wouldn't it be better if I just focused on those things, who the mayor of my town is? Because that's where I live. This is where I see the economic development. This is where I see things going on. Now, of course, we can talk about taxes and how that affects our bottom line. And wouldn't it be better if we didn't have, as he says, the power for the central government to do that, to take that money? Yeah, yeah, it would be. I mean, these are grand things. Uh, so wouldn't it be better if we had much more decentralized government when it comes to the center? Absolutely. Because all of these issues, the things that we wring our hands over on a daily basis, uh, I don't know if we're going to have health care. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have jobs. Uh, what about the minimum wage? Uh, what about fair housing? Uh, what about, uh, you know, take your social, take your pick of social issues? These are all local issues and they should be. The people of an area, the political community of an area should be able to decide what type of community they want to live in. Down to the smallest level. And no one from another community should tell them otherwise. This is where political culture where the culture of a people matters, where cultural history matters. You have to understand culture. We Americans forget that there are several cultures. We, we just focus on things like immigrate immigration and the cultures that brings in. What about the cultures that are already here? What about the differences in Americans between sections that have been there for 400 years? What about those differences? They're there. We have political culture that's different. I mean... Uh, when when people come down to the South and they're riding around and they see a guy with a pickup truck and on the back of the pickup truck it says, "You stomp on this flag, I stomp on your face." Well, they're going to get pretty upset about that because oh, that's so mean. But in the South, it's like, oh, well, I mean, that's what you do. You stomp on this thing, I stomp on you. So what? I mean, this is the political culture of the era, of the area, and, and you and you can't understand that unless you live in it, unless you're from it. It makes sense to you. Uh, I mean, somebody driving their, uh, their massive pickup truck up in uh, Vermont, I'm sure, would get some sideways looks because they're not driving a Prius. I mean, I'm generalizing here, but, uh, you know, this is the case. I mean, we, we have a different political culture in the South and Vermont, and that's fine. Nobody says Vermont has to do anything but eat granola and wear Birkenstocks. I mean, that's great for the people of Vermont. But uh, here in the South, I mean, people don't want to do that. They want to drive big F-150s or uh, Chevro- Chevrolet Silverados or Dodge Rams that are too big uh, and too massive and make too much noise, and they want to uh, be able to shoot their guns whenever they want and eat as much steak as they want. And, hey, that's great. And that's, that's fantastic. It's the political culture. They each eat as much fatty food as they can. Uh, because that's a political culture and that's the culture of the people. And again, I'm generalizing just to be just for fun. But this is where thinking locally, thinking small, acting small would save American liberty. It would save American political discourse. It would make things better. It would make people more respectful of each other. Why? Because I could care less what happens in California. To be frank, i don't really care what they what the state of California decides to give its citizens or how many people it invites into the country or anything else uh, as long as as long as that stayed in California as long as it stayed in California and the fact is uh California would be better off to be independent as this piece points out Russia doesn't even have a large economy as California. California could be its own country without question, and when you look at representative ratio, the states have better representative ratios and Uh, anywhere else compared to the the general government across the board. I mean, in my state, it's about 30,000 to 1. That's exactly what George Washington said would be fair representative government. For a general government, in fact, you could argue that's even a little bit too high uh, to have good representative government. Maybe it needs to be 15,000 to 1 or 10,000 to 1 or even 5,000 to 1 to have good, effective government. It would be better that way. We would have more input. And people would be able to uh, have more control over the government. Of course, uh, repealing the 17th Amendment, getting re- rid of the 16th Amendment. But you don't have to do any of that if you just say we're going to call a convention, we're going to start over, we're going to we're going to bring back the Articles of Confederation. That's what we're going to have, and that's what America is going to be. Wouldn't that be something else? Or better yet, let's bring back the Confederate Constitution because that actually was the Articles of Confederation with a few uh, few. Uh, alterations with the Bill of Rights included in it the Confederate Constitution is is a really interesting constitution because it solves some of the problems of uh, centralization that have been going on in the u.s model so um, it's a really worthy document to study and more people should do it and of course, one thing that's going to be come out of that is, well, how can you say that? It's got slavery in it. Well, so does the U.S. Constitution, yet we study that all the time. And we just say, okay, well, that's that's part we don't want anymore. Well, we could say that about the Confederate Constitution. We're, we just won't have that anymore. Let's look at the framework, though, the model of it. And let's go from there, because it was a good, effective Constitution. So Mr. Benko is actually doing, I think, a great service here by writing this piece for American Spectator, I mean, he comes up with all kinds of things. You know, uh, let the president fly coach. Get rid of the imperial presidency. Um, He says, time to think big by thinking small. Really, really small. Um, Let's let the United States... Follow the, the path of the Soviet Union and dissolving the USSR. I mean, when, when Don Livingston is a friend of mine, he talked about back in the 90s when this was going on. He had a conference on secession because of this and nobody showed up. But this is something. And here we are mainstream now. People are talking about this. Leave each other in peace. Time to think big. How? By thinking small. He says, make America and the world great again by restoring nations to loose but loyal confederations of small states. Let's think small so that the natural power of affection for our families and our neighbors will work as a force to keep our governments good. This is Thinking Locally, Acting Locally. I love this piece. It is perhaps the most important piece I've read on a mainstream website in a long, long, long time. And so... I would highly recommend you go out and read it. Again, just look for Ralph Benko, B-E-N-K-O, at at spectator.org, and you'll find it. It's wonderful. Well worth your time. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time.